You know, about uh, six months ago, seven months ago, I went on vacation with Melanie. We have a little motorhome, 29-foot motorhome, and we usually go to the East Coast, West Coast, or South Coast. And this time, I don't know what got over me, but I said, I want to go to the Great Lakes. And she said, well, what's up there? I said, I don't know. That's why I want to go. I want to I want to see it. And I went, we went to Akron, Ohio, and then we just started around Detroit, up the east coast of Michigan, to Mackinac Island, and upper Michigan, and uh, all the way to Wisconsin, Minnesota, really all the way to Canada. But we saw all five Great Lakes. And one of the things that just stuck out to me, of course, the cliffs up there are 200 feet high. I don't know if you've ever seen that. And these lakes are not small, as you know, but they're not shallow either. One of them, Lake Superior, is 100, uh, 1,300 feet deep, and it's very dangerous. It has 25-foot waves on it. And uh, so I passed by a lighthouse, and I want to just put the picture of that lighthouse up right now, if they will. That's the Split Rock Lighthouse that juts out into Lake Superior a good ways. And where it juts out has been a very dangerous point for ships passing by. And uh, they, in 1909, uh, there was a terrible storm. And in a two-hour period, six huge ships went down on Lake Superior with about 283 crew on board in two hours near the point where Split Rock is. And, of course, the legislature of Wisconsin and others said, we got to do something about it. And in 1910, they built this beautiful lighthouse. And I don't know, I just stopped by and looked at it. You know, just a lighthouse. But, but when I got reading about the lives that had been lost off that point, and this was the response, I thought about the local church. I really, I mean, I'm thinking about Bethany, where I'm from. I'm thinking about victory and what, what a local church means to ships that are passing by, lives that are out lost in a storm, 25-foot waves. A lighthouse, that's why I don't feel like churches should compete with each other. There's no competition between lighthouses. We're just trying to keep people off the rocks. Come on, say amen. And I, I, I don't know, I got up inside it, and this is, I took a picture of it. That's the light. And that thing is magnificent. In fact, it turns in a, in a bath of mercury. So it's zero friction. It weighs tons. And what weighs so much, if you see the, the perpendicular little rods that go up, that's actually prisms. 1,700 prisms are all perfectly aligned and focused together, a Fresnel lens it's called. And when the light is generated by these prisms, it focuses so intensely, it travels 22 miles. Now, that doesn't sound like a lot, but imagine it even has to go over the curve of the earth. So that's why it's up 200 feet off the, off the water. And that, that spoke to me of something. I don't know. I'm just sitting there looking at this light and reading about it. That It's, it's about character, really. It's about alignment. If there's no alignment, there's no distance for the light. My daddy used to say the church or the light shines farthest that shines brightest at home. And in our dark world today, and it's getting dark out there. I mean, with Ukraine, with the news, with everything going on, pandemics, famines are happening. 
we're in a dark, dark place in the world, but we're the light of the world. Do you agree with that, Victor? We are the light of the world. And what that says is we have really no choice but to come into alignment and find our place in the local church and be sure that we're aligned. We call that character. In fact, character is the foundation of integrity, and integrity is how far the light is going to shine. I learned years ago, I don't have to be the greatest preacher. I don't have to be, you know, build the biggest building. I don't have to do anything else. All I need to do is work on the alignment of my life. And that produces a light that can go around the world. I've been on every continent, most, many countries. And I don't, I'm not a great preacher, I don't think. I don't do a lot of things that you would know about. But I've just been working on my own light, my own life. And I want to challenge you in this message to do the same thing. The second thing I noticed about this lighthouse is that the light shines out a lens every 10 seconds. And that thing turns around and on, in 10 seconds precisely, the light goes out. And that's why ships 22 miles away or very close to the rocks and don't know it, they see that 10-second light. They know exactly where they are in a storm that they cannot find themselves. So consistency is literally the communication to them of where they are. And I believe in the church and in my own life, it's not how great how I am or all of those other things that the world thinks. It's my consistency in Christ. That actually is a light. Moses was attracted to a bush that did not burn up. Consistency is very critical. And then the third thing that I found out just standing there reading about this lighthouse is that there were some brave men that lived there because when a ship got in trouble and hit the rocks below, they had to launch 150 feet down those rocks by repelling and bringing their boats it was so sheer, and they got finally to the bottom, got launched the boats, and had to go out and try to look for survivors in the middle of the storm, in the middle of the night. So they practiced every single day, all day. They practiced going down those cliffs, launching those boats, getting ready. This is the local church. We got people in the water. We got people that are lost, and they're going down for the third time, and it's going to take courage when we don't feel like it, to just continue moving forward toward the mission of the lighthouse. It's not just sitting there and being consistent, but it's being courageous enough to rescue people. Now, let me bring you to a verse of scripture that sort of says all three things. I'm reading from Ezekiel 14, 14. You don't have to look it up in your Bible or your phone or any of that. Just look up on the screen and look at this verse. Son of man, when a land sins against me by acting faithlessly and I stretch out my hand against it and I break its supply of bread and send famine upon it. And I'm hearing now from United Nations people and others that there is a famine coming in the world this fall. Because of the Russia-Ukraine war, 25% of the world's wheat is not going to be there. And nations are going to starve without a divine intervention and what we're seeing right now is uh, it really, I think, an amazing cadence toward the return of the Lord. I'm never predictive of that. But we're seeing a tremendous 
fulfillment of signs. It says, even if these three men, and what you're going to read is the three tallest, brightest lighthouses in God's mind, Noah, Daniel, and Job, even if those three guys were in that land, they would only save their own lives by their righteousness, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the lighthouse of victory. We thank you for the prisms that are sitting in this room today that are keeping their character right and their integrity and their purity for you, Lord, and they're shining very brightly in Tulsa. And I ask you, Lord, today to use this word in their life to prepare them for what's coming in the earth. In Jesus' name, and everybody said... Amen. All right, let me just apply this to the three characters I just read. Character to Job, consistency to Daniel, and courage to Noah. What I see in the life of Job, and a lot of people don't like to preach about Job. I guess they're afraid it's going to happen to them what happened to him, but I'm not afraid of that. Come on, say amen. And Job, as we read in chapter 1, was in the land of Uz. And it says his name was Job. Because your name is everything in our, in our world today. Very, very important to preserve your name. And that man was blameless and upright. That didn't mean he was perfect. Because there's not a perfect man on the earth. About the time you think that a church is perfect, as soon as you and I arrive, it ceases to be perfect. Isn't that right? Because we just imperfect people. But he was one who feared God and turned away from evil. That's what Pastor Sharon was just saying to us concerning the tithes and offerings, is that the fear of the Lord. Let me just say this to everybody, that the fear of God is walking in the light. That when you walk in the light, you are light. Ephesians says you become children of light. And I look at myself, I was in darkness. I don't know about you, I was lost as a goose in a hailstorm. That's the only way to say it, as a teenager. Way away from God. Playing basketball, running around, acting foolish. And the Lord got a hold of my life at 16 and called me to preach. And that's been 53 years ago. I've been preaching for 53 years this year. That's right. So Passage University is called 50 Lessons from 50 years, and I, I trained pastors in those. But I'm just telling you it was grace that brought me up out of the pit that I was in. How about you? Wave your hand at me if God turned you into a light and you were dark. Well, see, this was Job, and his integrity was known worldwide. His light shined so brightly in integrity that People came to surround him and to hear his wisdom and to know what it was, the character, the depth of character. I'm talking to you right now, and you don't realize how critical you are in today's world. You don't have to be a great preacher, speaker, singer, any of that. You just need to be a person of integrity, and you're going to have a massive impact on this world because they're so dark. And so confused morally and, and integrity and rationalistically and all of those things. So Job shines so brightly, but he feared God and he turned away from evil. All you have to do to make it in our world is not compromise. Is to fear the Lord and turn away from evil. 
Because character and integrity are really rooted in the fear of the Lord. You can't draft enough rules for people to make them fear the Lord. You can't remember all those rules. All you have to remember is walk in the fear of the Lord. That, that's it. Like Joseph, when Potiphar's wife reached out to him and tried to grab him and pull him in bed, he jerked away from her and said, I cannot do this thing. I fear God, and I cannot do this thing. And he ran out. There's a way that God will give you the ability to continue to shine even when the enemy tries to pull you away from your integrity. And it's called the fear of the Lord. You know, I love the word integrity, and I'm just going to camp on it here a minute. It's a word it doesn't mean perfection. It means whole, complete. Now, I'm, I'm working on my completions because I got a lot of areas in my life that I'm, I'm constantly working on. Finances, family, marriage, money, motives. And I, and I work on these areas, and I have not arrived. You're not looking at a perfect person. I never will be perfect. We have not attained, Paul said, but we're pressing forward toward those toward the mark of the prize of the high calling. But I want to I want to just mention that you you got you can't just work on a few areas and leave the other ones wrong. You got to work on all of your integrity simultaneously, and that's why the word integrity we get our word integer, a whole number. No fractions, no parts missing. If somebody gives you a pie and you open the box and there's a little slice missing in that pie, you go, wow, what ate that? Was that a rat? I mean, what, that's weird. There's a piece missing. I remember one time we were parked at a Walmart, which is where we camp in our motorhome a lot, and Melanie went in to buy some stuff, and I took a walk, which I do every morning. I came back. And she had gone on her walk, and, and she left some donuts, which was awesome. She bought them in Walmart. And, and I just walked over, and I saw that she had started eating one of them. And so I finished it, and we like to cut things in half. I thought she left me part of it. And so she gets back. I said, man, those donuts are great. She said, yeah, I'm about to try one. I hadn't tried one yet. <laughs> Help him, Holy Ghost. I said, you didn't eat that donut? She said, what donut? Some dear brother had gotten hungry in Walmart and helped himself to those donuts. See, that's what I'm talking about. You can't have a part missing in your character. And that puts the fear of God in me because I know I'm not perfect, but I'm pressing on toward the mark. And if I miss the mark, sin means to miss the mark. If I fall short... Or I transgress, I go over the line, and we all are in this process. My light gets dimmer, and, and, I, and I'm not able to project it the distance that it was. And I go back and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, change me again. Lord, keep working in my character. How many of you are asking the Lord to do a deep work in your character this year? Come on now. That's right. And, I, and that's beautiful because that's why this church is shining so brightly Job had character in his finances, his family, even his friendships. Isn't it interesting that he had three friends that showed up after he lost everything? And people are down on him. I know that. But do you know it says they sat there for one week and never said one word? That's a pretty good friend, really. I know they said some wrong things. They were quoted also in the New Testament. They said some right things. 
Well, let me tell you something. Here's a practical point about what I'm saying in this first point. You need three friends. You need three friends that hold the shut-up card for you if you're doing something stupid. And they can tap you on the shoulder and say, hey, buddy, what in the world were you just doing? And I want to challenge all of us, myself included. I have three guys that have overseen my life. They're all getting close to 90 now. Hey, but they still oversee my life. And I'm submitted to them. Get that right now. In today's world, in the crazy, dark, confusing world of the last two and a half years, get in a small group, get you three friends and say, look, if you ever see anything in my life where I'm getting off and my light is dimming and getting smaller because of character issues, please be honest with me and tell me and I'll get forgiven and I'll move on because that's what we need in today's world. Will you agree with that? Number one. All right, number two is Daniel. I'm just going to use those three to typify this lighthouse. One was character. It shined 22 miles. One was consistency. It shined every 10 seconds. Beep, beep, beep. And they knew, oh, that's split rock. Now, consistency is what Daniel had. If you study Daniel's life, those of you who already know who Daniel was, he was in Babylon. He was uh, in captivity there as a teenager. He was selected to be one of the king's uh, ambassadors from Israel. And the king wanted to feed him all this rich food and, and, and wine and all of that. And he asked, can I just have vegetables and water? And then after 10 days, they checked him, and he was 10 times better, he and his buddies, than any of the other young men. Because he was so consistent. But the thing about Daniel was... When he was elevated to the king's highest position, he prayed three times a day. You remember that in your Bible? I mean, you could almost set your watch. He'd open his door, walk down the hall, walk in his prayer room, open the window, and pray towards Jerusalem, and you knew what time it was. Because every day, every day, every single day, he was praying three times a day. Now, I'm not there. Brothers and sisters, I wish I was. I'm still working on one time a day where I spend time in the, in the Lord. You know, I call it the fourth watch from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. Some point I'm going to try to get up. This morning in the hotel I did. The Lord wakes me up. But some days I miss. I had to catch the plane 4 o'clock this morning. I had to get up to fly up here. I didn't get my prayer time in then. Sometimes you miss. I'm hitting it most of the time. But, but Daniel was like clockwork. For a hundred years, the man was like consistent in his prayer life. And then in his Bible reading, he was reading in Daniel chapter 9 that Israel would be in captivity 70 years. And he knew that time was drawing close, and that's why he began to pray for Israel's restoration. He was a man of the, of the Word. He read the Word. Listen, consistency in prayer is so critical, but in today's world, every day I'm reading my readings. I read them in the office in there before. The one-year Bible. I've been reading it now since 1989. And so I'm, I'm, you know, over 30 years, every year, just reading, every year. Hey, say, every verse, I've read it, I've read it, I've read it, I've preached it, I've preached every book of the Bible, but I'm still committed because I hear from the Spirit of God every day. There's a consistency. The manna fell every day. You couldn't stack it up for tomorrow. You had to go out. You had to go. And coming to church, 
being in service like you are here now. I know some folks are still in their jammies and, and, and they're all that, but, but you're sitting here in the house of God, and this is a consistency of life because what this means is routine, and routine keeps you out of sin. I've learned this years ago, that it's when you don't have routines and you're deciding every day something different, that's when you start finding yourself drifting out of the will of God in your life. So you get prayer, you get Bible reading, and Daniel also did something called fasting, which is something I do not like to do. How many of you would rather eat than fast like me? Come on, wave at me. I'm a Louisiana boy. I had crawfish seven ways the other day at a restaurant. So don't, I don't talk to you. We know how to eat in Louisiana. When you talk about fasting, everybody gets real quiet. I call it slowing because when I fast, by lunchtime, it's like I've been fasting 16 days already. <laughs> I do not like to fast. I'm being, God has never led me to fast. I just do it when I, when I know it's right. I do it consistently. This was Daniel. and my, I remember my first fast. I walked into Walmart. It, I think I was in day one. And it was later in the afternoon, so I hadn't eaten two meals I had missed. And by the way, I figured out now, I think I've gone 21 days once, I can live off the land for quite some time down here. I've got plenty. You don't have to worry about starving. But by the afternoon, I thought I was starving. And I heard a voice over the intercom said, shoppers, we have hot biscuits in the garden department. And I heard it as clear as a bell. I told Melanie, look, I love the Lord and everything, but I got to have a hot biscuit. <laughs> and I made my way over to the garden department. The lady was behind the desk. And I went over and I said, excuse me, ma'am, where are the hot biscuits you just talked about? And she said, um, excuse me, what, what, do you, what do you mean, hot biscuits? I said, well, I just heard you announce that, that you've got hot biscuits. She said, no, I didn't. I said, we have hibiscus in the garden department. I said, I'll eat one of those too if you got one. Let me, let me kind of land the plane on this one right here. Daniel was consistent. But what we notice about him is he knew how to say no to his flesh. Now, I'm talking to all of us in this room right now and you online. You will never be consistent if you listen to your flesh. They tell me, and I walk every day, that if you put your tennis shoes on, you have a 70% chance that you will walk that day. If you just get your tennis shoes on. Because your flesh doesn't want to do it, but you put them shoes on anyway, and before you know it, you're out the door doing your walk. Whatever you do to keep exercising. When we talk about diet and turning away from certain foods like Daniel did that you know are not healthy for you, you know they're not good. People die young eating those things, and yet you can't stop eating. You're gobbling them up, you're just, and you gotta, you got to be able to say no to yourself and the things that you want to do, things that, that are not a part of your routine, sustainable uh, patterns for marriage, for parenting, for diet, for exercise, for devotions. You, when you get consistent, everybody this year, uh, Sharon mentioned it's a year of correction. Work on disciplining this person talking to you. And I can tell you what to do, then I got to go do it. Because it's easy to preach about. But making 
sustainable patterns. I was talking to a mega church pastor this week. He, he's the second largest church in America. He said, Brother Larry, what I've learned to do in my life, he's almost 60, he says, just have routines. Breakfast routines. He said, every night, my wife and I, we eat at 5 o'clock. We're sitting on the couch watching Jeopardy. Now, that don't sound spiritual, but it's routine. And that's what, that's what keeps people moving for a lifetime. But let me move to the last one. We got, we got Job teaching us about, about character, that light shining out 22 miles. We got Daniel teaching us about the revolution every 10 seconds. Beep, beep, that your life just keeps doing, keeps doing. You keep serving at victory. You keep tithing. You keep praying. You, keep, you develop these structural routines of life that make you consistent and God elevates you. Your light shines so bright. But the third top character in the Old Testament is Noah. And I, of course, I had to think about what, why was he such an amazing, he's in the top three of the Old Testament. When you got Moses and you got David, you got all these people, God said, these are my top three. Noah represents courage. And you know, the Bible says there was not one other person that God found as righteous in his eyes. The whole world was in sin. The whole world was in violence and perversion and all kinds of stuff that we see happening in our world right now. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God met with him and said, I'm going to judge the world. I want you to construct an ark. And I've seen the replica of the ark up in Cincinnati. You've got to go see it. When you're on the interstate, you look across the forest, it's five miles away, and you see that boat standing there. It is, it will take your breath away. It's life-size replica of it. And when you drive up on it and get in it, it's 750 feet long. These beams are so huge that it took to support a 40-foot high structure, 750 feet long. How did Noah build that ark? No power tools, no hydraulic lifts. How is it even possible with three sons to construct a boat that would float like that and carry the population of the animal kingdom of earth inside it? What a miraculous thing. God brought those animals. And, I, and I've got a verse in the book of Hebrews that I'm trying to think, what are these three guys? Why are they so special? It's because one of them had more integrity than anybody in the whole world. One of them had more spiritual consistency, evidently, than anyone in the Old Testament, Daniel. But I think Noah just had raw guts, raw courage, raw stick-to-itiveness. Hanging in there, we say, like a hair in a biscuit. Please forgive that analogy. But he could hang in there when everybody else laughed and mocked. We get our feelings hurt if somebody unfollows us on social media. Oh, I've I'm, I'm been unfriended. She unfollowed me. Really? Well, just go down to Lowe's and get you a ladder and get over it, honey. <laughs> You're going to be okay. They are saying now that one individual on social media 
can destroy an organization because they gather what feels like a majority and it's only a handful of people. It's going to take some guts to get through this next generation, folks. I mean, I, <laughs> I posted a picture of my little grandson killed two wood ducks with my son-in-law. So proud of him, seven years old, holding his duck. My secretary said by lunchtime, she said, have you seen your website? I said, no. She said, you've got 500 hate comments on your website. I said, what did I say? She said, nothing. It's that duck picture that you posted this morning. They're calling for your resignation from the ministry because you're teaching your grandson to murder animals. <laughs> what? All this character I've been working on and integrity and purity and example in all these 50 years and a duck picture means I'm disqualified. <laughs> there ain't no cure for that. <laughs> Come on, somebody. If you get weak and everything anybody says about you on social media, look what happened to Victory over the pandemic when y'all just wanted to have church in the parking lot sitting in your cars and Brother Paul on the roof and y'all got excoriated by all of these people on social media. But guess what? We still here. Come on, shout amen. We still here. We're not leaving because Brunhilde gets on her computer in the morning and fires off a comment. Hope you feel better, darling. But I'm talking now about Noah. And so I'm asking myself, why did the man build this ark and he never quit? For however long, I found the secret. It's right here in Hebrews 11.7. By faith, Noah. Notice, by faith. He never saw rain. It is going to take faith in this final hour. If you want to do anything to help yourself in the craziness that's coming, build your faith. Because he never saw rain. All he had was a word. And he never stopped. Faith never stops. When it sees it, when it hears it from God, it never stops. By faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen. In reverent fear. There's our word again. Constructed an ark. And look at this last phrase. For the saving of his household. There it is. You know what kept that man getting up every morning and trying to haul those trees with his three little boys or however old they were with an ox cart or whatever he had? You know what kept him going when it collapsed and he had to start all over maybe or all the things that could have happened in the years of construction? What kept him going was who was going to be on that boat. It was his kids. I want you to listen to me right now. A church is an ark, and your family is sitting inside it. And I built my ark, the church I pastored for thousands of people who got saved, but my six children were sitting in that ark. They're all in the ministry today serving God, 18 grandchildren. And that's right. And I'm glad you're here, and I'm glad everybody's here, but I can't quit because my own family's sitting in the chairs right there with me. 
And when Easter production comes around, I know they've been working a few months on this thing, but there's an empty chair or two in here, and there's a family member of yours that's out there lost and could miss the boat, and you're going to say to them, hey, we got this wonderful production. Please come with me. This ark is being built not to be pretty on South Lewis Avenue. It's being built for the salvation of our households. Well, I feel what I'm talking to you about today. We call that a why instead of just a how. How are you going to build that boat, Noah? I don't know. I know why. I got three boys and their wives that I've got to have a place for them when that water comes burbling up out of the bowels of the, of the earth. I got to have somewhere they can get and float on top of it. And so don't worry about the how. I got a why. You know, if you have a big enough reason why, you'll always figure out the how. There was a snake down in South America a team went to capture called the Bushmaster Snake. Now, I don't like a snake. Any good snake, the only good snake, that's not in the Bible, but it ought to be. <laughs> Sounds like a good one in Revelation or somewhere. And as they got down there, the natives were so afraid of the Bushmaster because it can raise up six feet off the ground and strike you in the forehead, and you were dead in just a few minutes. Some snakes, they call them the walk-off snake because you can't even turn around and walk off without dropping dead. Well, the Bushmaster is the deadliest snake in the Western Hemisphere. I've seen one in the New Orleans Zoo. I went down there just to look at it. And that snake that they captured, they put it in a box on the inside of the cargo hold of this boat in the Amazon. And they started up the river to bring it back to America. Well, they checked the box every few minutes just to be sure everything was good. And one of those routine checks, the lid had moved. The snake had managed to raise up somehow and move the lid, maybe repeatedly, and got up out of that box. Well, they didn't know where it was on the boat. So they didn't want to kill it. They just were looking with lights and machetes trying to, you know, pin it or do whatever. And no snake. It wasn't from the top deck down to the, to the main deck, so they figured out it must still be down below. And there was about eight inches of water down in the whole cargo hold down below. So two very brave men, unlike myself, <laughs> jumped down in the water with their machetes looking for this thing. It's so deadly. And then they saw it up in the front part, in the bow part of the boat, they they saw the end of the snake. And as they walked over to it, they touched it, preparing themselves to catch it, and it didn't move. And what they realized is the more they touched it, it was dead. It, it, it wasn't even alive. So one of them raised his light, and you'll never believe what was at the head of that snake. It was an old stray mama cat with her two kittens on either side of her. She's just standing there blinking like this. And they say, how did she kill that snake? I don't know. But I know why she killed the snake. Can you figure that part out? Because he came after her babies. There's another verse of scripture that says, if mama ain't happy, That ain't in the Bible, really, but it, it ought to be, too. 
Because when mama feels the imperiling of her offspring, she comes loose. And she will do what she needs to do. I had an alcoholic get in our house one time. He was drunk. He came on the highway, and he just opened the door, walked in our house, and I was out there watching TV. And my mama saw him through the kitchen window. And I don't know what happened next, but my mama came flying through that living room where I was, hit the guy in the chest, knocked him back to the glass door, opened the door, shoved him out, and got the door locked, raised the screen, and asked him, did he want something to eat? And gave him a peanut butter sandwich. I'm telling you, when mama gets ready to move, you better be getting out of her way. Come on, ladies, say amen. amen. I don't know how she killed that snake, but I know why. Noah had an impelling reason. I love you so much in this church. I'm telling you, you guys are faithful. You're consistent. You're right here shining like a big old lighthouse at North Tulsa, South Tulsa, all over, beaming out all across the world. Your prisms are aligned. But I want you to have a purpose for your courage to latch on to. And it's your own family is going to participate in the blessings of it. Now, you might be here today and actually... You don't know if you're on the ark. You don't know if you're a part of the lighthouse or out there on one of those boats that just wrecked on the rocks and you're trying to get somebody to come out there and get you. You may have just come to church today sort of interested in knowing God better. But the problem is when you lay down at night, you don't have any peace. If your heart stopped beating, you don't know where you'd spend eternity. You're going somewhere, and God loves you so much that he had you here just to hear. That he wants you to see the light of Jesus Christ on the cross, shining on the cross, saying, searching, beeping, blinking. And there are rescuers all around here that will risk their lives even to get down to a boat and get out there and get you. But you're here. You're watching. And you don't know how to be forgiven. I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I, I figured that years ago. That, that's not what anybody needs. But if you want a fresh start in your life, you'd like to start over maybe or you've grown cold in the Lord. Of course, the devil will tell you, you know, just put that off till next week. You'll be fine for another week. You don't know if you have another week. A friend of mine was just killed yesterday, came to a funeral in Baton Rouge from San Antonio, driving out of Baton Rouge, was killed instantly. You don't know. You don't know anything. I don't either. What we do know is Jesus loves you, and he died for you and for me. All you've got to do is surrender to him. You say, well, I'll be embarrassed if I try to give my heart to the Lord here. He said, if you're not ashamed of me before men, I will not be ashamed of you before God. I want you to close your eyes with me. Who in this room would say, I need the ark. I need a lighthouse. I need to be rescued out on this turbulent sea that I live in. I need forgiveness of my sin. I've made mistakes. 
and I want Jesus to come into my life. Now, everybody's praying for you, but if you're here, you would say, Pastor, include me in that prayer. I need peace. I need a new start in my life. We already got people raising their hands, but if that's you, I want you to slip your hand up high without hesitation. Just hold it up high. Include me in that prayer. Yes, 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 yes. All right, put your hands down. If you would say to me, I've known the Lord, but I've drifted. I've grown cold. My light has grown dim through compromise, through inconsistency, through discouragement. And I want to come back to the Lord. If that's you, you just slip up your hand and say, include me also in that prayer. That's right. I see your hand. See, you're back at church wanting to just get yourself re-engaged and yourself reconnected. Thank you, Lord. I'd like to ask everybody to stand with me right now. You that raised your hand, you've got a choice to make. You're either going to stand up for the Lord or you're going to sit down, be quiet, and by silence deny Him. If you raised your hand and you say, I know what I need to do. I need to, I need to follow the Lord. I need to step out from where I am. I'm going to challenge you to step out and say, I'm not ashamed. Everyone in here is praying for you, but if you raised up your hand and you want to know Jesus Christ, get in the ark of safety. Act like the door to that ark is right down here in front and there's nothing but rain and flood outside and there's only one way out and it's Jesus. You that raised your hands, I want you right now, step to the aisles quickly and walk just a few steps forward and and I want you to just come up here and let me pray for you. Would you do that? You in the bleachers, you that are down here on the main floor, just start walking this way. Just start walking this way. That's right. We are proud of you. This brother's already down. Just come quickly. That man, these people over here, you just come. Even up there in the bleachers, I see you. That's right. Just make your way down here. Come on, this young lady. The Lord is drawing you to Christ. Drawing you to Christ. Thank you, Lord. While they're coming, I'd like to ask that everyone else that's standing lift up your hands and let me pray for you as well and ask the Lord to come into your life and shine that lens of your prism that you may be able to shine 22 miles away to someone in trouble. That's why we need you to walk in holiness, purity, and the fear of the Lord in this dark day. Everyone out loud, pray it out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm calling out to you. I believe you are God, the creator of the universe. And you love me. You know everything about me. Even the hairs on my head are all numbered. I ask you today, Forgive my mistakes, my sin, my transgression, my falling short. Ask you now, cleanse me by the blood of Jesus. Wipe my heart clean and change me today into a brand new person. Now let's lift our hands up, even you that are standing down front that just gave your heart to the Lord. And I want you to ask God to sanctify you and me, that we would walk in such careful, circumspectly before the Lord, carefulness, 
holiness, purity, righteousness, not for ourselves to be holier than anybody else. We're only wanting to be a light that shines further to the very darkest regions of the world. Father, bless this church. Bless Paul and Ashley. Bless the pastors on this staff, the staff, the team, as they focus on Easter and as they focus the lens of this mighty lighthouse toward the furthest corners of Tulsa County, trying to get the lost in here to be saved. We thank you for it and we bless you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give these folks a good hand clap that have just given their hearts to the Lord. God bless you right now in Jesus' name.